0: Chapter twenty of Transition This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Transition by Emma Francis Brooke, Chapter Twenty. Lucilla never once wavered in the resolution she had taken after Sheridan's election and her interview with him and for a couple of months at least she had no intercourse either with him or her other friends of his set time did not mitigate her view of his attitude on the contrary his sagacity and time wisdom took to her eyes increasingly an aspect of treachery to the cause it was with consuming grief that she thought of him but never with a hint of return doverney's position on the other hand came nearer suiting the rigid ideal which she had set up as truth it fitted better the useless puristic socialism which her mental proclivities led her to adopt and she had gone over to him and his set heart and soul as she believed and as new converts are apt to do she made herself particularly active in propaganda work throwing most unsparing efforts into it Indeed, she urged her crude dogma of revolt with an unhesitating energy which would have been shocking had not the strength of it been so fine. Sheridan, in spite of his new interests and busy life, did not forget, Lucilla, rumors of her definite adhesion to the anarchist party had reached him and affected him with genuine sorrow. He never thought of her save with a pang of pity and regret he was occasionally prompted to write to her but hesitation so far had baffled the half-formed desire he could not make up his mind as to the wisdom of approaching her again even of the right of it at the same time he was not able to set the idea completely aside in honora's new school lucilla performed her duties with exhausting pertinacity honora was tempted at times to regret the touch of feverishness she put into her energies the growing frailty of her form alarmed her and what too had altered her eyes and made them look so strained and harsh lucilla met every inquiry as to her health with an air of surprise but she bent more and more to her friend's devotion throwing herself pathetically under the shadow of honora's wise protective affection yet never so far yielding to it as to permit it to save her honora even in the girl's softest moments felt that she touched her over some circle of reticence which nothing could induce her to break down meanwhile the affection penetrated more and more into her own nature and became something singularly persistent and tender so that she who gave the most drew in reality the signal benefit one evening in the middle of november lucilla upon entering her flat saw that the box behind the door contained two or three letters the chill habit of living the life of an anchorite alone was one of the matters which honora in vain had combated the room never had a welcome for the girl when she entered it it was always necessary to warm and light it and to coax out some semblance of comfort by efforts of her own but lucilla pressed the sharpness of any deprivation voluntarily to her own heart it made her think she was simplifying herself paring away the luxurious habit created by a vicious civilization and getting nearer to a share in the life of the people on this occasion she took the letters from the box and threw them on a corner table without looking at them and then proceeded with the usual business of lighting the fire and preparing her meal and at last the room was bright and the kettle steaming on the hob then she changed her dress and finally sat down to tea a touch of austerity in her treatment of herself held her off her letter-reading or was it a prolongation of her pleasure for to one whose days were thin and meagre and full of aching needs such communications with the outside world were the deepest satisfaction the joy of them spreading not only over hours but over days an envelope containing a few words even of friendly interest how much it was what thrills of life and colour it brought not until every trace of her meal was cleared away and the room brightened up for the evening did the girl approach the table on which the real feast was spread that letter on the top was nothing special she turned it over beneath lay a square greyish-coloured envelope the very look of which was inviting and friendly thick too as though a couple of sheets at least might be covered with handwriting conveying news thoughts kindness and perhaps a little rallying laughter the writing on the envelope was paul's when she saw it her hand darted covetously out and covered it a snatch of greed in the fingers her hungry heart leaping as a half-starved thing at sight of a meal the room was dizzy suddenly with life with colour with sound a pleasant excitement beat in her ears and agitated her breast to her lone corner of existence so landlocked, so rock-bound float again the greater tide drawing in through tiny apertures its salt and tonic wave to refresh the rifts where unregarded mosses be. she raised the packet eagerly then her fingers suddenly relaxed and her eyes closed under a frown she dropped the envelope as quickly as she had gathered it up and threw both hands over her face for her will cried out to her no 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 a step back was precisely the step that she never would take it was her resolve to close all avenues that opened from the past her judgment of paul sheridan the parliamentary member being unchanged the tumult into which the sight of his handwriting had thrown her with its agitating reminder of the happy bygone days was over as suddenly as it had come she snatched the letter up a second time turned towards the fire and thrust it unopened into the flame when it was consumed she gave a sigh of relief as though she had escaped a danger three weeks went by and it was now december the month in its early opening was mild but the weather prophets foretold the approach of excessive cold late one soft and pleasant evening lucilla came out of the shabby house in the street beyond westminster bridge after a couple of hours spent in the society of the anarchist companions the occasion had been an ordinary one and she was turning homewards without any special emotion either of interest or excitement d'auverney was with her it had grown to be an unspoken custom between them that he should accompany her a part of the way home she did not care that it should be so but he was persistent and in her aching loneliness she suffered his companionship he was far older than herself he was she had reasons to believe a married man and his presence gave on occasion at least a comforting sense of protection usually he amused and interested her with talk to-night he was silent they had almost crossed the bridge before he spoke then he suddenly bent down towards her miss dennison said he in a low voice i have something important to communicate to you so fraught with significance was his tone that lucilla stopped dead on the pavement not here said he hastily but can you spare me a moment will you come with me now and grant me an interview in some secluded spot where said lucilla startled and awed by the immense gravity which he had thrown into his voice i know a quiet spot on the embankment beyond the houses of parliament we can stand there leaning on the wall and looking over into the water no one will molest us and d'auverney accepting her unspoken consent took a step in advance and walked on quietly as though leading the way lucilla drew her long cloak more tightly about her and followed closely her heart began to beat in subdued excitement the two passed under the shadow of the house of commons that place so condemned in the judgment of either and turned by the railings to the left the jostling of passengers here sensibly diminished but in the most thronged part lucilla had been unconscious of it she threaded her way amongst her fellows in a singular absorption her heart fixed on that strange romance which it had accepted in preference to any other and her senses closed to ordinary sights and sounds the great pile of westminster the bridge and river the moving procession of the streets all were tinctured by the same hue all were beheld through the predominant mystification of anarchism felt through that touched through that no passing face but responded in some way to her exalted entente condition no trifling event but was in her excited fancy an omen summoning her to proceed un voyage de mille lieues commence par un pas et tous ses compagnons il n'y a que le premier pas qui écoute. those were words she had been reading that evening dully without inspiration as it seemed to her now but they returned to her memory illumined passing under the shadow of the house of lords her eye flashed its scorn on the bricks and mortar her tread became firmer her spirit fiercer she followed in magnificent assurance and to the eye of her mind the fate before her trailed a purple and royal robe d'auverney led on until they came to a part where the coming and going of men comparatively speaking ceased on one side a wide road was a row of pleasant houses on the other a wall and beneath it the noiseless beautiful flow of the river here said he suddenly coming to a halt then he leaned against the wall and turned his head to the river lucilla approached and stood near him the tones of their voices could be caught by no one the immense feeling of grave adventure of great fate intoxicated the girl heart and brain more deeply than before mademoiselle said he in a sudden rough voice close to her ear are you staunch surely monsieur d'auverney surely you do not distrust me ah would that be possible no i do not distrust you if i had distrusted you should i have brought you here i am staunch monsieur d'auverney but you are so slight a creature so mignon petite have you strength i am strong said lucilla with conviction but these are rough matters too great too grave for shoulders so slight and graceful as yours they are things for men alone for women too if they touch life but it is bitter dangerous action is different from talk it is pleasant to speak of action in the circle of the comrades to pass the word to dream but to come out from them mademoiselle with the mind fixed on its lonely intention to set oneself to do a deed for liberty for the people ah monsieur d'auverney is it going to be as great as that she clasped her hands with a swift natural movement and her voice thrilled had you not better go away now without hearing the rest he pursued in a voice partly mocking partly tender for it is as great as that as great as that his dark eyes darted to hers and held them a soft subdued shadow made the splendid irises more beautiful lucilla's eyes wide open clear as stars stared into them come said he still with that deep dark gaze i warn you you had better not listen a slow immense movement of the heart in her breast answered to her prevision that the dream of the last few years of her life was about to be realized the physical feeling rose upwards to her brain and there was a rushing sound in her ears her own frame seemed far too slight to sustain the idea which had made so sudden an inroad upon her and now seemed to possess her like some spirit that was not her own she put out her hand to the wall to steady herself go on said she breathlessly come nearer turn to the river lucilla obeyed to her wild fancy the whisper close to her ear was coloured crimson and had an edge it is not customary to us to confide in others least of all to entrust our affairs to a woman our convictions are our guides our acts are not deliberated they are performed only strong souls can go with us i know it but when the occasion comes when we see that the time is ripe for a far-reaching action then if help be needed we greatly dare throwing ourselves on our faith in the hearts of the companions yes and now the time is ripe we have to hasten mademoiselle because humanity can wait no longer we languish for want of a deed an example if we are to advance a leap to the heart of things must be taken i am weary that we should stand still so long and suffer the people to perish in battalions from the systematized oppression of officialism and greed we are fainting because of corruption within our own ranks the socialists have deserted us they have moved to the enemy's side and are cozening the people with official lies beneath her cloak lucilla's two hands tightly bound themselves upon her swelling heart even amidst our own immediate comrades there is deviation fair speech curtailment a new departure is necessary it has been prepared it is ready from the moment itself it takes its spring if we are not to lose sight of ourselves we must leap forward and plant our ruthless banner of the revolution in the citadel a deed mademoiselle a deed is necessary yes yes what Are you then one of us i am oh i am staunch do you infer what is coming scarcely go on if you saw freedom a renovated world behind would you fear the momentary crash the thunders of falling states no no it is what i desire can you bear it small slight thing can you endure i have told you to proceed The night was full of the swift dialogue, the air bore it off in reverberations, and the river carried it. Several great cities are in it Poissy, Lyons, Lille, Marseille, Madrid, Paris, of course, and London. Ah, the ground, the houses, the very air reeled. London is the heart of the movement. Here is its birthplace from here the other great centres are moved her lips open but without sound you believe in the strength of the people their irresistible might once they are aroused yes if i tell you the fates of your comrades their life their death will be in your hands lucilla's eyes closed god knows what emotion sees the poor little maidenly heart with its dreams its cold purity its fire spot of passion its wild capacity and hunger for self-devotion my fate our fates added d'auverney they will be safe but have you still more courage can you go a step further can you act was it then possible she was called on to come forward her head drooped for a moment the emotion she was under was almost intolerable you require my assistance yours and no others there was deep silence between them you are the single woman he whispered as it was prolonged still she did not reply gazing across the river she saw the dim piles of buildings and the lights and the long reflections through a strange luminous mist that hovered before her eyes a hurried step went by a hansom dashed past the noise of the city hovered everywhere and there were cries from the boats on the water a strange cold mournful sense of finality of eternal adieu fell upon her the earth gladness passed forever from her spirit her eyes were moistened for one moment suddenly she turned her pure innocent face stretched out her snowflake hand and laid it in that of the foreigner without a word his eyes leaped you give yourself yes and i am glad but her voice was faint can you take a journey suddenly honora the school strange incongruities floated into her mind they seemed as thin apparitions only the ordinary duty to which she was pledged shrivelled as worthless tinder in a furnace yes said she when must it be this is sunday i could make every preparation for thursday night it must be thursday and not later i will be ready if you require money he began she took a step backwards and shook her head for the passage i meant he said hastily across the channel you comprehend m d'auverney not out of england ah mademoiselle not alone no no not alone with protection and companionship near you i do not understand where am i going and what for d'auverney pressed near until his breath was on her cheek he paused as though to gather force and then his voice broke from him in a stormy whisper every syllable of which was tipped with long repressed passion what for because you are the heart of me because you fit me as the dagger fits the sheath because you are my courage my inspiration my soul because i cannot act without you without you i cannot bring it through i am not understanding said lucilla sharply she was bewildered horrified attracted in one breath all this is as it may be speak more plainly for i do not understand d'auverney laughed softly it was a beautiful musical laugh that seemed to pervade her looking at him his face showed as a splendid thing luminous with smiles and with a strange new something that never in her life had she beheld before why why in the immense gravity of this moment did monsieur d'auverney smile and look like that her delicate lids suddenly shut in the dim light the soft cold virginity that lay about the brows and lips the high reserve the cloistral something that set her all apart seized on the man's heart and fired him to an emotion that was savage in its intensity that and the inexplicable freedom of her brave english manners for doomed to misreading by eyes that had for years perused a voluptuous page in a prim binding a licentious print stolen as it were between the rigid boards of a missal is it possible that you have not guessed that you have not seen that i have chosen you small fragile heroic girl out of all women to move with me to the great purpose ah but you have seen you have known can you or i ever forget that evening when you came to me voluntarily mademoiselle unasked when you condescended to yourself throw yourself upon my society my tuition my guidance then was it that i first felt the free beat of your exquisite heart near mine knew that you had broken your bonds and were free that the long coveted thing was in reach for do you not see he came nearer her Lucilla raised her hand with a strange movement, and brushed it across her eyes, as though some thin, confusing web hung there. The air around her was whirling with whispers and circles of light, for do you not see, he repeated, that you are the heart of me, that with you the true inspiration began, in your charming impulsiveness you won me, but I was yours before you rule me mademoiselle i am a child to your slightest touch i have envied the cloak that enfolded you the wind that lifted your hair and brought the colour to your cheek ah that cheek that lovely mouth monsieur d'auverney no no do not speak yet your mouth was created to be gazed at worship touched it is there mademoiselle to fill a man's veins with fire and nerve him to his task without you i am nothing with you in my arms i can dare defy act not i alone for great cities await your consent all those threads on which mighty destinies depend converge to a single point that lies in your hand your hand so small so fine so delicate yet so strong for till you bid me move i will not move till you give yourself to me i shall be nothing till your lovely mouth surrenders itself i am incapable my arms ache for you my nature craves you see i give you my heart my hands my worship my all good god was this this the meaning of the moment this outrage from that fair height was the descent so swift so deep for the first time in her life in the very moment of her high exaltation of feeling lucilla was reduced to the merest sense of sex condemned to listen to a bare solicitation of a kind hitherto unshaped to her imagining stop the voice struggled as through some physical obstruction he had thrown himself towards her and she had retreated a step her action her cry shook out of him a new storm of words in the whirl of his whispers and the extremity of her repulsion it was only by a supreme effort that she kept her balance sufficiently to understand that each sentence of passion was pointed by a hint of some ominously rash adventure to follow upon this stormy scene but as regards herself the prose of the situation stole with intolerable clearness upon her cooling fancy she was in the eyes of this man no maid of france selected to bear forwards the banner of revolt but simply an intoxicating draught to his own lips the froth to his courage the stimulating bite before action that was her part and this the proposition to which the prelude had been played in so sounding a key dwindled to such dimensions she saw herself suddenly from the shameful eyes of another wait she cried again her voice was thin weak inadequate that immense emotion which had brought her into the situation and which had lent its elation to her courage even to the point of self-betrayal was extinguished. Of all the fever and strain, the aspiration and wild expectation and romance, nothing was left. It had burnt out like a coloured fireball, leaving her suddenly cold, small, sane. But once her foot on solid earth again, her keen brain began to trace its way amid the ruin of things to sort to test to determine its own attitude and to take up its own plan with a cold mournful realization of the safety of limitation in a world whose fruition turned to ashes at her disastrous touch it was still possible to throw oneself back upon the eternal sense of justice retreat within the hidden fortress of the spiritual and entrench one's own petty failure behind that enshrouding greatness she told herself with sharp self-flagellating truth that in justice she could not blame this man he stood for his principle and no point of his action but was logically derived from it for the rest her nearest and main refuge was her english training the orderliness and just balance of her daily habit she felt it return to her from the remotest reach of her being rising up within her and asserting itself to the utter and complete extinction of all other feeling the night partook of the change this was a road she stood upon those were houses of brick and mortar that a sluggish not over clean river and she once more herself i ask you to wait her foot stamped imperiously on the pavement d'auverney folded his arms and bent his head it is well she said dryly to put things of this kind clearly this is a personal bargain i perceive am i to understand that you are asking me to accompany you on a journey out of england immediately that i am to go with you on thursday to paris and with my love you ask me to accompany you in what capacity as my well beloved my most cherished as your wife or what if thus you name it and what becomes cried lucilla with sudden inspiration of your real wife of the present madame d'auverney d'auverney unfolded his arms and looked at her in quiet surprise what has that to do with the question said he who told you that i have a wife i know it said lucilla briefly just so he replied calmly all is clear between us there was a long silence no words could have stung deeper and the venom was that they were true the situation was to him not her as for d'auverney he was too versed in conquest to be either impatient or to doubt the issue he simply waited until she should thrill him again by voluntarily laying her pretty hand in his the piquant thing about it from the beginning had been the impulsive charming tenders that lucilla herself had made those free-taking manners of hers which if common to english women must make courtship indeed a pleasant thing to english gentlemen He devoured her face and figure with his eyes, and awaited the intense pleasure of her genial compliance. Meanwhile Lucilla's wit travelled quick ways of its own. The shock was too intense not to prove stimulating, and the swift self-flagellation it brought with it once more steadied her on justice. There was a certain measure of hard, simple sense in Doverney's last words, and the heart of pride within her frightful humiliation rooted itself on that. She moistened her dry lips. If all is clear between you and me, said she slowly, it is, probably, hardly clear between yourself and your wife. I trust, mademoiselle, said Vauverney, quickly, that you will not permit an affair long dead to prejudice my present suit. Her ears shrank, was she so cheap a thing as that. The hard, self-flagellating instinct kept her sane, and to her point, your wife, she repeated a woman to whom you gave a pledge when i met madame d'auverney said the frenchman i had not met you love cannot be bound you hesitate over a trifle it does credit to your fineness of heart there is a legal tie between myself and a woman to whom i am indifferent i do not recognize the law my affection being dead the tie is over it is nothing you mistake returned lucilla i recognize the tie in all probability your wife does too mademoiselle said d'auverney speaking with an accent of obvious sincerity what is that woman to me that i should consider her love that is dead is dead you cannot revive a corpse and is your conscience so far legalized that you suppose the law of this matter could be binding on me for one second lucilla paused again there had even been surprise in his tone she noted it and understood again she pressed the point against herself justice hard cold salutary should be meted out he was simply true to his principles he was saying nothing but what had been included in his teaching from the beginning there was not a word that was not logical and written down in the premise she had of her own voluntary act by accepting his dogma cut from herself all standpoint from which she could logically upbraid despise or revile him the whole thing was astoundingly clear to her mind now and yet the difference between the coloured obfuscation of yesterday and the intolerable light of this moment was that then the talk had been general and in the air now it was a personal application it is not the legal tie of which i think said lucilla in the same thin quiet voice but have you no feeling of doubt when you consider what your wife your deserted wife may suffer no feeling of honour to a pledge given i am not one he said with a kind of cold glow in his eyes to potter with doubts and mess with honour honour is your conscience enslaved to such a conventional bit of humbug i thank my maker i carry within me no such sickly admonisher my conscience is my will to preserve myself in life and joy and action, monsieur d'auverney said, Lucilla, we must end this conversation. There has been some terrible misunderstanding. It is not you I blame, it is myself. My conscience is so bound by that conventional bit of humbug that I am not even able to thank you for your offer. The bitterness of her humiliation escaped her in those words. She turned to go, only, however, to find herself confronted once more by the same storm of passion, by that face luminous with an emotion that offended and sickened her, and by the added sense of fear which a new note of savagery in the man's voice brought with it. "'You are not going, mademoiselle,' said he threateningly. "'Assuredly we have not explained ourselves. We are comrades, mademoiselle, not children playing at love. You placed your hand in mine. You were under a vow. This is but a prelude to the great event.' the vow of secrecy i made i will keep god help me i am a weak woman i have come to a great stress monsieur d'auverney your aspect your manner terrify and disgust me that was the horrible part of it the gentle courteous companion was transformed to some incalculable mischief to an unruled unguided force that flung itself upon her there he stood before her an incarnate impulse that acknowledged no law save itself that was its own god its own religion she felt without hearing them his whirling words they rained upon her as shapeless inarticulate sounds she only knew that they stained and broke and defiled her that an extremity of humiliation was meted out to her and that all the habitual reticences of her mind and nature the walled garden and sanctuary of her soul was trampled down as with the hoofs of some coarse satyr it was in her mind to shriek for help against this horror this horror always rimmed by his ghastly claim upon her but when she essayed it her throat and tongue were powerless there are words that are brutal as blows tones that are insults looks that are indignities and always and always that ghastly claim that hint of her voluntary surrender she made a rush past him he laid his hand upon her his touch was loathsome to her sense as a reptile's her heart seemed to swoon within her when she felt it the repulsion in her feeling was something physically overpowering she felt herself swaying there was a great black horror and the detested handsome luminous face following her down into it the words that escaped her lips in a sobbing moan broke from her unconsciously oh paul she cried oh paul won't you save me that perjured traitor that betrayer of the cause you call to him the bitter venom and hate of the tones penetrated to her ear from some far place and stung her back to life they seemed to snatch her suddenly out of her careful self-restraint and throw her into some unknown unexperienced region of emotion her feet her veins became fire she did not feel her body it was gone she was a single wild force of inspired and supreme fury a mere piece of hot and instant vengeance she wrenched herself free a voice Poignant ringing, scarcely her own, rushed from her. It is you who betray, and darting forwards with a sharp upward spring, and with her fist clenched, she struck slight small thing that she was no inconsiderable blow at the detested face. The next moment she was flying with blinding speed in the direction of the safe and noisy turmoil of the streets. Chapter twenty.